ride a ride. We're here with Mame and Mom. Yes. Well, hi, Mom. Where did you ever, ever come from? You're my mom, so I came from you. Yeah, that is true. That's true. This backhanded compliment changed your whole life. Mame out, man. we're back. And we're back. I'm not even going to say it, and I'm going to let you say it. I'm not going to say it. You're going to say it. Oh, okay. Well, I, you are who? Mame. And I am mom. And here we are. See, it's better when you do it. Why would I have done that? It's true. I know. That is true. <laughs> that is true. So it's nice to see your little face, Em. I haven't seen you in a little bit. And I used to see you all the time, and I kind of miss you a little bit. What do you mean you still see me all the time? Not really? Oh, I don't know. I miss you. Yeah, I'm talking about codependent. Here I am. (laughs) I'm really excited about the show we're going to have today. I just want to put trigger alerts out there. Emily and I, most of our shows have been very lighthearted for the most part. And I am going to keep this one as light as I can. But I think it's a really, really important subject. And it needs to be discussed more. And the subject that we're going to talk about today is addiction. What it feels like to even be on the other side, how substances can affect loved ones. And the first person I thought of was Donna Marston. She's here now and I am so grateful. I used to work with her when I worked in the substance abuse profession. I used to send a lot of my families to her. So I'm so grateful. She's helped so many people. And she's the founder of the support group Family Sharing Without Shame. She's an author of a couple books. I'm going to have her talk a little bit about it at this point. So welcome, Donna. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, thank you for coming on. I'm going to ask you to just tell us a little bit more about yourself. I'm a, I'm a parent who has a child, an adult child, who's a person in long-term recovery. And what that means is that my son hasn't used any mind-altering substances since May 11, 2008. And, you know, it's interesting when I, when I speak at different events, I, I'll typically end with, a curse can be a blessing and a blessing can be a curse. And the curse of addiction almost destroyed my child, myself, and my family. But in the end, the blessings showed up. He's 16 years sober. We reestablished our relationship. He's an amazing husband, father, entrepreneur. Uh, he gives back to the community. Um, you know, we restored our health. And it's it just amazing when back in the day I thought I was going to die and I would never survive all of this. And I look back and I wouldn't change it for anything because it's who we are today. Mm-hmm. And it really humbled us and changed who we are. That's amazing. Yes. And so from then you started a support group. Could you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So two years before my son got sober, I hit my enough. And unfortunately, I can tell all the parents till they're blue in the face what I did, how I did, did it and all this stuff. Until we hit our enough, we're not going to change. It's just that simple. Mm -hmm. And so when I hit my enough two years before he got sober, I literally thought I was going to die of a broken heart. Mm -hmm. And I knew I needed to do something different and I did. And, and somebody had said, why don't you work on your own recovery? And I thought, what are they talking about? I'm not in recovery. I don't have a substance use disorder. And, uh, but they were right. 
and I did have to do that. And, you know, I started off with having some Reiki done and it was the first time in years that I felt some lightness in my heart. And I, and I laughed that day and I hadn't laughed in years. And it just, it just took me on this journey of healing and learning about the disease of addiction and how it affects families and how we all take on a role and owning our roles. And we bounce around with the roles, right? But we participate whether we think we are or not. And how would you, how would you describe that if you were looking at a person or a family, what would what would be an example of that? Of family roles. Mm-hmm. So I don't like the words codependency or enabling. I mm-hmm. I think it's labeling and shaming parents for loving their children. Oh. Mm-hmm. So I call mm-hmm. it unhealthy helping. Oh, I like that much better. Yeah, I like that too. And I was a great unhealthy helper. I paid off drug dealers. You know, I I you name it, I paid it. And that's what you do, all in the name of love. Mm-hmm. So there, so there's roles. It's the unhealthy helper. There's the person with a substance use disorder. Then there's the hero, which is typically like the oldest daughter. If there's and if there's the oldest son, the girl will take over typically, and she kind of keeps balance in the family. And then there's the scapegoat, who's the really angry kid. And then there's the lost child. And that was my other child. He kind of just would go in his room and color, not color, but, you know, video games or draw, do stuff like that, kind of stayed out of the way. And then there's the court jester, like the family clown. Mm-hmm. And they all play a role. And the, and the interesting thing is the way I understood all this, navigating all of this, they were almost like negative roles that when, when, when they were taught to like me or anybody else, it almost had a negative feeling to it. I've recently learned there's a positive side to it. Mm-hmm. So like that, for example, the scapegoat is usually the angry kid, right? Especially if a parent has a substance use disorder. But that angry kid is the one who tells the truth about what's going on in the family. Mm-hmm. So as if somebody who works in the field, a social worker, a psychiatrist, um, drug and alcohol counselor, put that child in like leadership roles. They'll do really well in leadership roles. The lost child, you know, they kind of stay out of the way. They might have some mental health issues as adults. Take them under your wing and maybe have them work for like a, um, or volunteer at a uh, pet center or a shelter or something like that, right? Loving and kind, and there's a nurturing feel to it. Looking at what people often think is the negative and spin it to the positive Mm -hmm. so that you can can teach this and we can own our roles and then heal our roles. Mm -hmm. But you don't always stay in the same role. I mean, sometimes I might've been the scapegoat, you know, I was really angry at what was going on. We go around, but primarily I was the unhealthy helper. Yeah. Let's go back to, you were talking about your son having an addiction and you were in the midst of things, which, I mean, if you don't know much about addiction and you have a loved one that you just want to protect and you don't want them to, to feel pain, especially our kids, you can feel mm-hmm. their pain. You just want to fix yeah. it, right? Yeah. So is that yeah. kind of what was going on when when you were trying to help your son? Yeah. Well, I'm his mother. Yeah. Right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's my job. Right. Protect mm-hmm. my child and do anything I can to keep him safe. Yeah. I, I had no clue what I was dealing with. Right. Right. Because right. I see my beautiful son. And the person or the, what I was fighting with, I would, we would have our, our times, 
and it was the disease I was fighting with, but I, I was, I, I was so uneducated. I didn't realize the difference. Right. Eventually uh-huh. I learned the difference when his addiction was showing up. Eventually I learned to, to zip my lip, get out of the yep. way and just go do something else. Remove myself from the situation. Cause if I engaged, if I showed up to every fight he invited me to, I was his reason why he had to go get high. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. I, That's, so many people blame themselves or don't realize that it's not, it's not about them. Mm-mm. And that's but, my self-centeredness yeah. thinking it was about me. But, it's right? most, but how could you not? Most, yeah. How could you not? Honestly, you feel like it's your fault. I did something wrong. My kid has problems with substances. How many times? Mm-hmm. I can't even tell you. I mean, I worked with families for a really long time within substance use and I, I, I don't think there's such a thing as a, a parent coming in saying that it's not, they feel like it's their fault. They did something wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, very common. How'd you know that your son was using? When he was around 15, he started to change. And I was like, what's going on with you? Yeah. you? You know, it just, you seem different. And at 18, he got into some trouble, minor, nothing bad. And I don't know, you know, it was my gut instinct. I'll tell you something mm-hmm. really weird. From the time this beautiful boy was born, I felt that if he made it to age 25, he'd be okay. But something, there was like, I, there was something off. Yeah. I felt it from the day he was born. Yeah. And so huh. I would, I, at 18, I started to suspect and, you know, I'd be like, you know, what's going on? Something happened. And I'd ask questions and he'd tell me I was crazy. At 20, it just, it just was full-fledged, yeah. 100 miles an hour. And for five years, it was the worst thing I've ever gone through in my life. And my youngest son almost died twice at the age of nine and at the age, I mean, at seven and nine. That's the same. And uh, now forget, he was a little guy. And the doctor came out and said, we don't know if he's going to make it. Just pray. And that heart-wrenching pain, right? Yeah. That's that pain I carried when my son was in active addiction. Yeah. Because you're always afraid of that phone Mm -hmm. call. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, the the dreaded phone call. Yeah. And the phone rings and you're, (laughs) you know, you're always, you're always in fight or flight mode. Yeah. Yep. Now, was yeah. he living with you that whole time? Most of the time. A couple times he moved out, and I'll tell you, I couldn't get him out fast enough because it's a different yeah. worry, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But then I'd want him home so I could make sure he was alive. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was, um, yeah, kind of crazy stuff. And you said you paid off some of his drug dealers, too. Yeah. Would, we would pay his debt. Um, we'd pay his car payments. Yeah. You know, he had every excuse why, you know, he didn't get paid that week and yeah. he hadn't been paid for a month. And mm-hmm. then when I was going to go confront his boss, it's like, oh, what are you crazy? <laughs> you know? Right. You know what? They're convincing. They're so convincing. Yeah. At their story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And as a mom, you want to believe mm-hmm. you want to believe everything. Of course. And it's all the other people. Right. If it's all the people that are dealing drugs and it's all the yeah. people he's hanging around with, but not my beautiful boy. Right. I mean, it's really hard. It, denial is a beautiful thing. It sure is. Mm-hmm. It protects it you. Us- yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That must have been so, so hard, Donna. I can imagine. It's awful. 
Uh Yeah. Yeah. So finally you said, that's it. What did you say? Did you say go get treatment or what ended up happening? Well, he had been in and out of treatment for those five years. Yeah. I just hit my enough and I stopped talking at him. I stopped Mm -hmm. following him, stopped engaging. I started to work on my healing and I started to work, have energy work as part of my healing. That's what worked for me, Reiki. And I just went on this spiritual journey and I started to get well. And then I kind of made it starting to make a name for myself. I'm knocking on doors going, listen, I want to help. How can I help you? And um, nobody really wanted my help, but this one person, she connected me to, to this other person. And through that, they ended up sending me on a recovery um, retreat that the state of New Hampshire put on. This is many, many years ago, maybe like in 2006 or 2008, somewhere in there. And I, my mind's a little shot. <laughs> remember I remember yeah. details. Some of it's just vague. So anyway, I went and it was all people in recovery. I was the only mother there and I learned a lot, but we all made a commitment when we came back, how we were going to make a difference in the state of New Hampshire and in the world of recovery. And my commitment was to start a family support group for parents. So that's when I founded Family Sharing Without Shame. And I ran that for, facilitated that for over 12 years. And I had one in Concord and one in Manchester. So I, I did it twice a week. Wait, is it still there years. now? No, going? COVID took everything oh, away. Okay. I understand. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. I so I have a, I have a free Facebook page called yeah. Family Sharing Without Shame. So people can engage. Yeah. And then if they, if they want more, they can hire me. I, yeah. I'm a support coach and I work with parents and they, you know, bring some of the uh, healing piece into it. Oh my goodness. All of that information and experience. I bet you are a really good coach. Oh, thanks. Oh, no, honestly, I'm not just saying that. Yeah. Well, you know, I educate them about the stages of addiction, the stages of change, Mm -hmm. and the stages of recovery. People don't understand, in particular, the stages of recovery. When I would send my son to rehab, I thought, first time, one and done, this is it, he comes back, we never talk about it again, and we Mm -hmm. just go on with our lives. And it's a 10-plus year process. Oh, yeah. You know, the first year, they're, they're... starting to, you know, accept help from people, going to maybe a a meeting. There's many pathways to recovery, but however they do it. By age, I mean, um, year three, well, the first two years, they're pretty much, it's post-acute withdrawal syndrome, right? Their brains are healing. It's called pause. And I would have parents come to me and say, I'm trying to have a conversation with my adult child. And it seems like there's a brain fog going on. And when I ask how long have they been and recovery. And they tell me, oh, you know, 12 months. Oh, well, this is why. And then 18 months to 24 months later, they'll come and go, thank you. That was a gift because they didn't know that. And now that Uh their child's sober, they can have a conversation. They see the difference. Mm -hmm. And then at year five, year five is when they can, or is it year three? And it's between three and five is when they're honest with themselves. Therefore they can be honest with everybody Mm -hmm. else. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I used to be like, why do you tell stories? Why do you do this? And one time he said, I hate this word. I don't use this language, but he said, I'm an addict. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. Even though he was sober, he had some of the same old behaviors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it took time. And when you look at uh, this, this class that I teach on the recovery, my son fits right into it. Yeah. And, and yeah, everybody that I know yeah. fits into it. So it's pretty amazing. 
Uh -huh. time it's just like, not that easy. Yeah, it's like what came, what comes first, the chicken or the egg too. You have to look at that too, because a lot of times when you're using, you're really, you're, you're um, self-medicating because there's yep. other factors that were going on, you know, whether it's self-esteem issues, being bullied, whatever it is, there's something else going on, right? Well, I, so I have a theory. You might think I'm a little crazy, but I'll, I'll share it with you. I think a, a large percentage of people who have a substance use disorder are either empaths or empathic. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Because I think they're highly sensitive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And because they're sensitive, life can be tough. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. they'll self-medicate because they don't know what else to do. Um, I even think sometimes some of them might be mediums and that's why they hear voices and whatnot. This goes really way out there, that's but um, uh, we're here for it. Yeah. You yeah. know, I yeah. just think there's people that they, they just don't know. You don't know what you don't know till you know what you know. Right. right. Uh -huh. And if you, you talk to a lot of people who are in recovery and they're getting into the spiritual yeah. realm, they're doing uh, energy healing, they're kind of finding that spiritual peace and they're doing untraditional healing. Yeah. They're not doing the meds. They're doing it energetically. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, if you're working yeah. with a family, what would that look like? What would happen? Let's just say it's their first meeting. What what would happen? Well, typically I, I'll either do it in person or on Zoom, however they want to do it. I work with the parents. Yeah. Not the person with a substance use disorder. Yeah. There, there's all kinds of resources for them. We're limited what parents get. Yeah. And so we do a lot of talking and I explain the roles. I, I never blame and shame. Yeah. I hear them. I listen to them. And I know that in time when they're ready, they'll make the changes. Yep. All mm -hmm. I can do is plant the seeds. Yeah. So I plant seeds of hope. I always tell somebody, as long as your child is still working on this earth, how lucky are you? Right. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to be grateful for, mm -hmm. you know, just for today. And so you know, we look at the positives. I teach them about living in gratitude and how to change our language. Yeah. Right. Because my language mm -hmm. could be argumentative and I didn't know it. Yeah. And I think I'm doing a good job of being your mom. And I was engaging. And sometimes I would start the fight and he'd show mm -hmm. up. I teach kinder language. We don't use, I don't label and shame people. Mm -hmm. You know, I teach that this is a brain disorder. Their brains are wired differently than ours. And to talk about that, I talk about the stages of change, the stages of addiction, stages of recovery. What does that all look like? The family roles. I have all kinds of workshops and PowerPoint presentations that I take them through. I have like a 45 minute one that I do for the first time. Really eye opening. Yeah. Because people will go, ouch, ooh, ouch. Kind of did that. Yeah. And that's okay. Because we all do it. Yeah. And we don't know what we don't know. So this gives you an opportunity to open your eyes to see things in a different light in hopes that you can change how you engage. And then you, it's all about being their biggest cheerleader mm -hmm. with, with healthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. The healthy mm -hmm. boundaries. It's finding those. That's, it, that is really interesting, too, because I think a lot of people don't communicate like a lot of people have that language, even regardless of addiction, like so many people communicate with each other on a day-to-day -day basis, when just poorly, you know, like yeah. and get into arguments. Yeah. And when it really like people 
should think about that type of stuff no matter what I think exactly um, yeah. I have a question for you this sure. is kind of a, a it's I'm sure there's not just one answer to this whatsoever but I mean, maybe for like other parents that are listening to this that have kids that struggle with addiction. You talked a little bit about how with your son, you you were the unhealthy helper. What is a role that they could play that is more healthy? So if something makes you angry, that's a boundary. That's that's where you have to set a boundary, right? Because mm -hmm. there's an emotion attached to it. So figuring that out. I think it's learning what can work and what won't work. I don't believe in kicking in tough love. I don't be, believe in kicking your kids to the curb, mm -hmm. but I do believe in healthy boundaries. One, so mm -hmm. I, I do a living agreement with parents mm -hmm. that whether their kids live with them or not. And it's, it's like, here's, here's how we're going to roll. If we're going to be in a relationship together, or if you're living in my house, here are the rules, but you do it together. They get to have yeah. a say too. Right. And, and then it's a three strikes you're out. Yeah. So example, when I'll use my son, say he would come home from rehab and he'd want to move home. And I'd say, okay. And, and this didn't happen with us, just an FYI. So I would say, here's the rules. No, if I, I'm going to randomly drug test you. And if it's, there's signs of alcohol, cannabis, you name it, anything that's mind altering, I'm t then you have a choice. You can go to treatment. Or I'm going to take your door off your bedroom and you lose your privacy. Well, he's probably going to pick take the door, right? Right. <laughs> so, and then if it happens again, strike two is I'm going to put your door back on. I'm going to deadbolt it so you can't get in there. And now you get to sleep in the family room. Love it. Or you, or you go to treatment. Now you're going to lose all your privacy. And he's probably going to pick the family room. Happens again, strike three. You go to treatment or I'm going to uh, go down to McKenna house and see if I can get you a room there, but you're going to have to find a place to go because right now living here is not an option, but I'll help you look to see what your options are. And I will support those mm -hmm. options. I never use the word. No, I use the word option because it's not permanent. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. So he gets to choose. So anything that whatever he chooses it's his decision. I haven't made the decision for him. It right. takes ownership off of me Yep. Mm -hmm. and allows him to adult. Yep. I love that. It's true. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And, and so I help parents um, write that. We'll write mm -hmm. it together. Yeah. Or, mm -hmm. or they can just, they can go on my website and just download it. They, it's, there's a fee for it, but they can download it and write their own too. Yeah. But that's, yeah, it's always a three strikes you're out policy. Last thing you want to do is have them leave on bad terms because mm -hmm. you always want to be loving and kind oh, as best you can. Yeah. And we do get, they, they can, they can level us emotionally. So uh -huh. yeah, it's hard. So the last strike is that must be a tough one because then you do have to be tough. You can't, can't have someone that's living in your house. I mean, who knows what they're doing? They could be stealing or whatever's happening, right? A lot of times when you're talking about addiction, that is what's happening. They need money to feed their their addiction so that happens a lot right and there's lying well right but the thing is it's teaching the parents we're not going to move the finish line yeah. i always move the finish line yeah. and hope right because he couldn't make it so i always made it and what does that do it teaches him disrespect me absolutely it, right we teach our children how to treat us yep the other thing i do say is never put a boundary that you're not going to follow through right 
Mm -hmm. So if you can't take them to McKenna House or any other homeless shelter, then don't threaten with that because that's not cool. You want to be able to do whatever you can follow through with. Mm -hmm. And like you said, when you're talking about respect, because talk about a spiritual journey, if you can really learn Mm -hmm. to do this, then you actually learn how to respect yourself as well. Yeah. So you're right. really learning and growing through the experiences that your son is taking you. And like you said, he's, he's one of your biggest teachers. Yeah. Well, you know what? The pain body is incredible. And I've never felt such emotional pain in my life yeah. other than when my, my told, I was told to pray for my son. They didn't know if he was going to make it, but um, yeah, it, it just, it's, this is not an easy task and it takes time yeah it's not it's not going to happen in a day i mean it took me what four or five years before i could well probably even longer than that before i even started to think about taking care of me yeah but i couldn't i couldn't i just couldn't do it anymore i was emotionally dead i i had mm-hmm. nothing to give to anybody who was healthy in my life yeah so what ended up happening? I mean, he got clean, but is that the time when you finally said, that's it, I can't help you anymore? And that was kind of like the catalyst? It was a bad day that day. <laughs> um, I went out, and this is how sick I was, and spent like $3,000 on low-level light therapy because I heard that in Canada and Europe, they use this low-level light therapy. And so I bought it, and I would try to do treatments on him. And so this day I wanted to do a treatment. I knew he was still, he was using, and um, it went sideways. It just went sideways. And he left and I said stuff I regretted. I shouldn't have said Mm -hmm. what I said, and but I did it. That's why you don't want to get to that heated point because, you know, you want to mean what you say, say what you mean, but don't say it in a mean way. I was mean Mm -hmm. that day. I was mean that day Mm -hmm. because I didn't know better. And when you know better, you do better. I didn't know yep. better. I'm going to hurt him like he's hurting me. Damn it. Yep. And so, and, and this is how bad it was. Don't you ever come back here again. <laughs> you know, you're not welcome in this home and uh, all this blah, 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 just stuff coming out of it. Mm-hmm. And then within an hour, I'm calling him. Yeah. Honey, please come home. I'm so sorry. And it was about eight hours later, he showed up and, and this is when Things started to change and I went upstairs and my husband had just gotten home from work and I said, he's home and he's going to come out to dinner with us because my husband always did date night on Saturday nights. And he said, I'm not sitting across the table from him. He's high. Yeah. And I thought, how dare you? This is our baby. How dare you? And he said, I can't do this with you anymore. Me or him. And my husband is not an ultimatum guy. And as I was walking down the stairs in my head, calling him every name in the book, right? Uh-huh. By the time I got to the end of the steps and my son was there and I just said, um, here's a number. I talked to them earlier today. They have a bed. Your father just said he's not doing this anymore. And um, I got to choose people who are healthy in my life. And I love you with every inch of my being. Yeah. But I can't participate in this anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love you. Here's a number. I hope you make the I hope you make a, a great decision. And and we left. And he called me about two hours later and he went up to Concord Hospital because I guess he had to get some meds or something to go to this place. And he followed through. He made arrangements. 
And um, unbeknownst to me, um, I found this out eight years later. My son tried to commit suicide that night. Mm. I would have found my son mm. dead on Mother's Day. Wow. He didn't succeed by the grace of God. And when he woke up, he thought, must be God's will that I, I'm going to go to treatment today. And he's been sober ever since. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, yeah. wow. That must have been so hard, Donna. Oh, my goodness. It was awful. Yeah. It was a long ride, ride to Keene. I was so afraid. It's like, don't stop the car because I was afraid he'd jump out and take off. And But he went and yeah. he met this wonderful counselor who... She was our angel, and, and yeah, so he's been sober since May 11th, 2008, on Mother's Day. Wonderful. The greatest gift, right? Wonderful. And then you started doing your healing, your healing work. Yeah, well, I started two years prior, and then, you know, it slowly started to evolve. It took on a life of its own. I didn't plan on running this in the state of New Hampshire and being an advocate for an organization called New Futures. And, yeah, just it's crazy. How, how my pathway took me here, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's nothing I've ever thought I would be doing. Well, you were given yeah. gifts, but those gifts weren't for you. They were for all the people that you've been helping, Donna. And that is... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, for real. Yeah. Absolutely. There were a lot of people that walked through those doors. Yeah. 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 You've seen Amazing. a lot of people in your groups. A lot of my oh. people that I sent. <laughs> so... Well, you, you used to be there. I mean, I'd have 40 people sometimes yeah. at my meetings. Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. Easy. And then it, then it kind of, it was, I would average probably 15 to 25 people. Yeah. It kind of slowed down a little bit because that's too big well, to run a meeting. Yeah. It's yeah. But I mean, your name got so big and there was such a need at that point. So people were just, yeah. Yeah. Lying over and there. I was the first one to have a knock-in training yeah. for families. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And that was wonderful. That was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, That's so incredible. I mean, like even what you said, when you went through what you didn't know what the right thing to do was, Mm -hmm. I mean, who would, who would know what the right thing to do was unless you talked to other people and you found out resources. So that's so incredible and so important that you help so many people. But there's no real right reason. You can't like, you can't say, well, this is what you need to do because everyone's an individual. Yeah, absolutely. But you can't know. I mean, you can't do it on your own, I guess. I mean, yeah, Yeah. there's no right or wrong way. We all have to find our way. What works for me may not work for you. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, our kids are different, but if you use the basics of what I, what I teach, I think you hopefully will be successful. And I think it's the support too. Like you said, I mean, no one's the same yet. We all, all are the same. We're going through the same thing. So right. just being able yeah. to talk it through, right? Yeah, well, and you know, that was one thing about my groups. It was about healing and education. Yeah. It wasn't, you weren't going to sit there and complain and swear and do all this stuff because there's enough negative going on in your household yeah. when you're dealing with this. You don't need to come to a meeting for that. Yep. I always started with a reading. And what I would do is pay attention to the conversation from the week before. The opening reading would be about what we ended with that week. And to open a conversation up. And then we'd always end with a positive reading about whatever. I believe in a power greater than me and whatever, you know, all these gifts would just show up and I'd open the page and it was like, oh my goodness, that's what we're supposed to read tonight. 
And so and I'd have a person do that. And then we'd ha- end by holding hands and saying the serenity prayer. And I end it with, I put my hand in yours so together we can do what I cannot do alone. Yeah. And uh, it was pretty powerful. Yeah. 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 Strength in numbers. Absolutely, Donna. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So you've written three yep. books. What is the name of them? Actually, four, four books. Four Okay. So, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So my first book was Peeling the Onion. I think that was like 2011. I just rewrote that because it didn't have kind language in it. Okay. It had the A words, you know, addict and alcoholic. And I don't like that because that's not who our loved ones are. They're right. not their disease. They're beautiful people who happen to have a brain disorder. Right. So let's stop mm-hmm. blaming and shaming them, yeah. right? So I started with Peeling the Onion, and then after that, I did Just for Today, and that's it's a daily read, positive affirmations for parents or family members. And then I just this year published uh, Sharing Without Shame, and it has, I think there's six people, six or three, well, anyway, it's parents who share their story yeah. of their pathway to healing and how they navigated through their kids' addiction. And then I have, I don't know, it's three or six people, I don't remember, who are people who are in recovery and talk about uh, their pathway to recovery. Wonderful. And I talk about unhealthy helping, a little bit about family roles. So it's a little, there's some of the paling the onion in there, and it's just all all the kind of the new stuff. And then mm-hmm. healing without shame is a, a journal that goes with sharing without shame. Wonderful. Wonderful. So now, Donna, if someone wanted your help, how would they get a hold of you? Well, they can go on my website, sharingwithoutshame.com, www.sharingwithoutshame.com. They can find me on Facebook, Donna DeLuca Marston, or give me a call, 603-568-0533. And great. And if <laughs> someone wanted to find one of your books, are you on Amazon or... Yes, I'm on Amazon. Okay. Yeah. Or they can get in touch with me and save the shipping and there you go. get it local. Yeah. So Donna Marston, check her out. You are awesome, Donna. Thank you for everything that you do. I admire and respect you so much. Thank you. Yeah, it was so yeah. awesome meeting you. Thanks for coming. Nice coming on. You. Thanks. Thank you. It was fun. Just a, a quick shout out to our sponsor, also New Hampshire Made Moms, who she, and that's our sponsor for the show, and she's amazing. She makes all custom apparel all in New Hampshire. Check her out at New Hampshire Made Moms on Instagram. But, amazing. Yeah, but thank you so much, Donna, and love you, Mom. Love you, too. Hey, this is Emily from Maine and Mom. Thanks for listening to our podcast. It comes out every Monday. Music by Farad Aziz of Wiki Games. Sponsored by New Hampshire Made Moms. Write in listener questions to mamemom at gmail.com. Us or probably one of our dogs will respond with feedback. Mame out. <laughs>